0: Show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I wanna go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago, and it's gone right to my head. And wherever I may roam, by land or sea or phone, you can always hear me singing a song. Show me the way to go home. <sighs> Show me the way to go home I'm tired and I want to go to bed I had a little drink about an hour ago And it's gone right to my head Wherever I may roam By land or sea or fall You can always hear me singing a song Show me the way to go home Show me the way to go home I'm tired and I want to go to bed had a little drink about an hour ago And it's gone right to my head Wherever I may roam, and or see your phone, you will always hear me singing a song. Show me the way to go home. Show me the way to go home. Boom, boom, boom. I'm and I had a little drink, about an hour now It's gone straight to my head. Wherever I may roam, I ran or see your phone, you will always hear me singing a song. Show me. Gotta do it on my phone, it's taking too long on the computer. Very irritating. Can't spell the name of the damn website either. Oh boy, what is going on here? Do not auto correct that, please. Leave it as one word. Thank you. Criminy. I walk along the city streets we used to walk along with me Bono and every step I take reminds us how in love we used to be How can I forget you? When there's always something here to remind me Oh down, don't always something here to remind me I was born to love you, but now, and I will ever be free, always be a part of me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'd pass a small cafe where you and I would would dance at night, boom, boom. Every time, mind me, all it was to kiss and hold you tight. How could I forget you? And there was always something there to remind me.
1: Thank you. Yes, I'm doing the Dion Warwick version there. Not the uh, not the one from the 80s. It's amazing how many new wave songs were like 60s pop uh, covers. It really does make you... When you look back at a lot of the stuff like punk as a recapitulation of early rock and roll. And then like the creation of like... Uh, soul and R&B being recreated through new wave. You kind of see how very quickly, uh, the creative cycle breaks down and you have to start over again. And now we're on like the, we're at the terminal end of that, I guess. Tainted love is another example of that. And yeah, there were some Motown bands that were still performing like, uh, uh, The Pointer Sisters, Jump, For My Love. That song was huge. That's an 80s song, but it's also a Motown song. i got to say, if you want to compare... Never mind. Anyway, I don't really know anything about music, so I shouldn't talk. I'm going out enough on a limb on this bullshit that I should not be going beyond my barest competency. I just know that I like the Dionne Warwick version better, which is uh, it's not the only version, because it's a, it was originally a Burt Bacharach song that was recorded by a number of uh, pop singers. So... Next week, we're going to talk about the rest, the second half of Jacobin, or I guess the second two-thirds, but it reads very fast, and uh, uh, I think it's better talked about, uh, it, it doesn't really require the granular uh, focus. And if you really do want to talk granular for uh, the Haitian Revolution in general and, and Louverture uh, as a person, I highly recommend the uh, recent three-part uh, Haitian Revolution uh, addendum to the age of Napoleon podcast uh, that is highly recommended one of my favorite history podcasts and if you want to like get into the muck on like the what happened when that's a good way to do it, but like talking specifically about what James is talking about it's a little more uh, abstract and i'm finding that like what i'm getting out of this is are very abstract uh <laughs> tangents so you don't really need to break it up into specific sections cuz it makes more sense to talk about them as they develop uh throughout the whole narrative but anyway uh the last time i tried to talk about this book i got completely off track did a whole hour and a half uh that was not even directly that wasn't even gesturing towards the book so uh, I don't want to let that happen next time. So I, I, I was reading through and I hit a paragraph that I thought was so perfect in its description of the French Revolution, from which the Haitian Revolution emerges uh, and which it is part of, which is why it's part of the narrative of the Age of Napoleon podcast. Uh, it sums it up in, a, in a, uh, the, 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 uh, the fall of the, the end of the revolution, the Thermidorian reaction that ends the forward progress towards social equality that the, the, um, that the revolution was pushing towards. And I felt like this paragraph would cut, if people just absorb this paragraph, it would cut through a lot of the morass of, uh, of weird, like emotional reactions and, and, and investments people have in the figures of the French revolution, because you know these are the, these are the Titans who broke free of their chains, you know? So, We have this, there's this charisma around them, uh, but they have to be understood not as protagonists, but as uh, historical actors. You know what I mean? They need first and foremost to be viewed in their historical role, not through the role of what values they personally embody. Because then you end up having to defend things uh, and uh, conceptualize things historically around those assumptions. So anyway... I wanted to just have a little bracket here to talk about Robespierre and the French Revolution. Uh, coming off this paragraph that's on page 177 of uh, my paperback copy of The Black Jacobins uh, in the chapter, The White Slave Owners Again, which is one of my favorite uh, chapter titles because it's after the, uh, the fall of the, the slave-owning aristocracy, the, uh, the declaration by even the the uh, Republic in France itself of, of abolition, uh, saw the dispossession of, from power of the sort of uh, royalists and independence-scheming uh, slave owners. And by, by this time they've been owned, but then there's an attempted resurgence to uh, regain power, uh, and he titles the chapter, Oh, the white slave owners again? God damn it. I thought we got rid of these fucking guys. So, in describing what's happening in France while while Toussaint is rising to power uh, in Haiti, uh, James writes, Robespierre and the Mountain, that's uh, the the left-wing Jacobin uh, faction that ended up uh, overthrowing the Girondists. Robespierre and the Mountain had maintained power until July 1794. The terror had saved France, but long before July, Robespierre had gone far enough and was now lagging behind the revolutionary masses. In the streets of Paris, Jacques Barlet and Roux were preaching communism, not in production but in distribution, a natural reaction to the profiteering of the new bourgeois. Robespierre, however, revolutionary as he was, remained bourgeois and had reached the extreme limit of the bourgeois revolution. He persecuted the workers. Far more workers, working men than aristocrats perished in this phase of the terror. In June 1974, the Revolutionary Armies won a great victory in Belgium, and at once the continuation of the terror was seen by the public as factional ferocity and not a revolutionary necessity. Right wing and left in the convention combined to strike at this sinister dictator, and when he sent out the, the call to the people, he could not get the old response. Some of the sections came there was a delay. Rain fell, and they went back home again. The revolutionary ardor, which had inspired them since August 1792, was gone, killed by Robespierre himself. He seems to have been in constant fear of a split between the extreme revolutionists of Paris and the rest of the country, but destroyed his own left wing and thereby sealed his own doom. And here we have a perfect encapsulation of how the French Revolution ended. It was because the, uh, the interests of the workers of Paris and the bourgeois who were challenging royal prerogative and the feudal order were in alignment for a while at the start of the revolution. But as the revolution took its own momentum, as the window of possibility opened, the workers started demanding more uh, pressing needs. An assertion of greater democratic control of the economy so that they could feed themselves. But the bourgeois revolution, which only seeks to use working class power to the uh, degree that they have to to gain power, uh, essentially puts the brakes on it. And that is because at this point, historically, it is not the workers of Paris, it is not the sans culottes of Paris who are the true revolutionary class. It is the bourgeois class because they are the ones who not only are radicalized against the status quo, but have the organizational capacity and the access to power to actually push for their agenda. And they use the working class of Paris to that end. But then a point came, especially after the Girondists decided to try to offload this tension in a war with Austria, that uh, passions grew greater, the sense of, uh, of uh, lost liberty felt more tangible, and the workers pushed for more radical demands, which, at the first place, could be, uh, in a bourgeois framework, only accommodated with blood. Because, remember, the bourgeois is not trying to create social equality here. They are not trying to do a communism. They are trying to do a capitalism. In their mind, capitalism and freedom are the same thing. This is the founding birth of this is the explosion of modern capitalist the modern catalyst capitalist dominion right here it's bursting forth from the french arist from the french uh bourgeois and so their domination of the uh of the uh, National Assembly, their domination of all of the political clubs in the city of Paris and in the surrounding cities of France, meant that popular uh, uh, popular agitation by the working class who have a different interest than the fucking bourgeois, uh, which is, hey, how about we eat? How about we, we aren't sacrificed to the market? And The bourgeois state would now in the hand or the the, the state mechanism now fully in the hands of the bourgeois. Remember, there's no real working class participation in government, in this new structure. It is lawyers basically through and through. Lawyers and and progressive landowners. That's it. So those are the ones making the decisions and are, are wielding these forces because of the insufficient organization of the working class. It wasn't even a working class. It was a bunch of artisans who were out of work, basically. Like It was not a working class in Paris. It has to be remembered. It was a post-feudal remnant of the fucking uh, the craft system. You had artisans. The sans-culottes were artisans in Paris who just didn't have enough work and were hungry. So you don't have a working class. You have a movement towards one, but it is not coherent. There is a coherent... Bourgeois class. And look at that. They're in charge of the power. And the first group to take power are the uh, Girondists, who squeeze out the Fulantists, the royalist bourgeois, when it becomes untenable to support the system anymore. Because if you cannot change the conditions at the base, which the bourgeois cannot do, the redistribution of power and resources, what they have to do instead is change the political structure in such a way to validate that to the people who they are allied with. Keep the mob at bay with spectacles of, uh, of political, uh, and, and, and the political ritual performance of the power of the people. Let's say that. Like we cannot give you pure, you people, you cannot have real power. What we can give you is the performance of power publicly through our guiding hand. You will fill the bellows, but we will be the machine because we can do that for you. And that means, hey, you guys hate the king? He's gone. Uh, and so that means that the royalist, uh, the pro royalist con- constitutional democrats get skipped, Get or uh, uh, liberals get bounced. Bye bye, Barnav. Then you got uh, Brousseau and his boys in the Gironde. They're willing to go to kill the king, cut the king's fucking head off, damn right. Uh, hell, you know what? They'll even go to war with Austria to have a good, cleansing, patriotic, nationalist uh, uh, ritual that will make their power uh, conceived of not as a class but as a nation-state or as members of some nation-state in, in, a, in a patriotic war uh, that they will then go and fight it and, and not be in the capital for. That's great. But the, very, the fact that the war didn't go well in the first stages meant that panic exploded and fear of retribution and reassertion of royal power became greater, which means that the bourgeois structure had to do more performances of worker power, of of of, of sans-culott uh, political desire, only in the form of ritual sacrifice. They couldn't give him land. This, Marx said this too. They couldn't give him land, so they gave him heads. And Robespierre rose to power in that moment because he believed that this was not just some cynical appeasement of the people. He believed that this was going to create communism. Robespierre thought that he was going to turn the bourgeois state into a Rousseauian perfected state, not by changing economic relationships, because he is a liberal, the first liberal in many ways, one of the first real liberals. Uh, Because he couldn't do it through redistribution, he would do it through the uh, use of the state to assert a public virtue, a internal uh, uh, motivator. This is what I'm talking about. The thing you're supposed to have at the end of the process of uh, class formation where the working class takes the rule, takes over the machinery of capitalism, puts it to social use, and creates a social being, right? The new man of the Soviet vision. Like it literally is a different type of person with different relationships that are defined by their different economic conditions, the conditions of production that they live within. Robespierre thought he could get that within capitalism, even though capitalism is based on this exploitation at the center and this coercion at the center that rips apart consent. Who wants to consent to this system? The consent has to be reaffirmed and reforged culturally. In the form of politics, in the form of laws, and uh, and punishments, most of all, punishments. And it will be by assertion of a public will to punish that you will instill in people virtue. They will be scared. They will be scared of the state from sinning. The same way that the medieval uh, peasant was scared to sin. Uh, because he was afraid of God sending him to hell. If we now are going to have earthly institutions, now that they've been brought to earth by the emergence of capitalism and the engagement and the alienating effect of the market, if that's the case, are we going to let the market destroy us? Are we going to let the market dissolve our humanity? And the radical uh, bourgeois are those who, because of their personal collection of uh, of of uh, abilities, values encounters with the world uh, refuse to accept that and want to defeat it and those become your liberals they think public application of fear will reproduce God will will we'll, we'll, uh, like the way Bentham reconfigured the penitentiary to be away from imagining the uh, penitent in God's eyes but to have them imagine themselves under the eye of a fellow person in the form of the panopticon within the uh, the, the center prison spoke. And so then if that happens, if everyone within a system is in the system of capitalism is self-regulating, if their decisions are self-regulating towards the good in an abstract sense and not themselves, then capitalism can work. No boss will exploit a worker. Nobody will, will uh, maximize profit over human values. They will be prevented from doing that by their own virtues. This is the difference between Ray Kroc and the McDonald brothers and the founder. Ray Kroc, The McDonald brothers had enough because they were satisfied with their social endeavor. Uh, Ray Kroc was a fucking uh, heartless demon because he's further along in the de- alienating process that Jacobin's and fucking Bonaparte, or I'm sorry, Jacobins and, uh, and Robespierre saw coming and wanted to stop. And they thought that public virtue would do it. That is why, while there was mass confiscation of church lands and persecution of the church and a lot of the, uh, the future Redditors, I would guess of liberalism who wanted to tear up the fucking, uh, church root and branch from society. Uh, Robespierre, being a more humanist, in a, many, in a meaningful sense, liberal than them, said, no, no, you can't just replace God with absolutely nothing. You have to consecrate their relationship to the state, which is replacing God. And that's why he created the cult of the supreme being, which led to one of the, uh, his real downfall, in many ways, came from his, his conducting of this attempt to the this new revolutionary liberalism where the state is still uh, under, uh, operating under the machinery of capitalism, which is stripping all human bonds, stripping away towards uh, selfishness, but it, but, uh, and therefore people's lives are worse, and they're pissed off, this guy Robespierre says, we're going to all worship this, uh, this concept of reason that is a, the collective understanding of our, of our people, uh, and that that will guide us the way that God used to guide us. And he had a big festival in in uh, Paris, and it was a cringe fest. He had this big float. He was h- incredibly happy. And everyone around him was muttering, and, and he got heckled at the thing. And shortly after that, he had a, one of his many nervous breakdowns, and he was off the public stage for a few weeks. And then he came back talking about how he was going to finally clean house. Uh, and everybody who was terrified that their corruption was going to be exposed got together to fucking uh, nerf him. And there was nobody there to defend him. Because, this is the important thing about Robespierre, in his uh, uh, pursuit of public virtue imposed from above on the principles of the bourgeois capitalist state, that meant, yes, cutting off the head of a bunch of royalists and the old Girondists and anybody who uh, looked askance at the revolution. But it also meant cutting off the head of Hebert, cutting off the head of Danton, cutting off the head of anyone connected to the actual streets and the actual demands of the workers uh, uh, from the machinery of state. Anybody who was – even if they were crooked, and, and Danton was a crook, had a public – he was he was seen as a legitimate broker for the desires of the people. So was Hebert, and they were also chopped up. They were also fed to the machine. And doing that broke the, the, the conveyor belt between the bourgeois state and the Sankulat. They were no longer able to – uh, within, uh, They could no longer marshal the people because the people no longer had faith in the mechanisms that they had used to pursue power, and so they lost heart. Oh, we're no longer actually in charge of this thing because when we say things, they're not heard because the people who used to hear them and take them to power and press our case are now dead. It's very similar to what happened uh, in in the United States. After the 1970s, in the less fraught environment of, you know, just the post-war, uh, Cold War state, liberal state. Eventually there becomes a point where it, uh, the crisis is too great, the material uh, uh, disruption of capitalism is too deeply felt in the culture, uh, that you can no longer afford to let the workers, the, the, the unorganized, the proletarians in the room the plebeians. In the room, you can't let them in. you got to keep it among the bourgeois to prevent uh, them from turning them against each other. And because the, the bourgeois class is a progressive class at that point, they were the progressive class at the moment, they were able to defeat the workers. The fact that the workers lost proves they weren't ready to win because the progressive party was the bourgeois party. And what that meant is that Thermidor is the system stabilizing itself away from the maximalist fantasies of Robespierre, which were going to keep going until they hit a reaction because he was trying to totalize something. He was trying truly, as William F. Buckley used to say, to immunitize the eschaton. He was trying to transcend the, the arc of history. And because he's a liberal idealist, he was going to do that until the system stopped him. And the thing is, it did. He found the limit. Everybody who was really, truly connected to the working class, anybody who had any real uh, convictions about the revolution that transcended personal interest, they were all dead by the fall of Robespierre. Everybody who cooed Robespierre on the left or the right shared one thing in common. They were essentially more interested in saving their asses than in maintaining their commitment to the revolution. Ironically, Robespierre's pursuit of virtue squo- squeezed virtue out of the system. Anyone with the virtue of their convictions got their heads cut off. The only people left were the non-virtuous, and that is what capitalism will do over time. And that's why this undermines its own social foundations. That's why it sells the the rope for its own hanging. And so what happens with Robespierre is he essentially gets to the point of his historical relevance, and then he's fucking... uh, he's he's removed because uh he is not he is not structured by the the demands of the bourgeois state which are towards stability not civil war with the bourgeois over who is most virtuous while virtue is squeezed out of the system by the machinery of capitalism giving lie to every revolutionary belief uh, the the revolutionary uh faith in the in the in the uh in the state that the masses used to have is every day being drained as it fails to make things better to their lives. And of course, those people who, like I said, when I say that they uh, value their lives more than their principles, that doesn't mean they were bad people. Most of us value our lives more than our principles. The point of having a society is to encourage people's best selves. To encourage their, uh, themselves to, when given a choice between the right and the wrong thing, which they can feel in their heart, they choose right. And that means that they give people the social context where it, it doesn't cost to be good. Where there's actually a social benefit of being good. Because otherwise, you, only, you create a system that is uh, incentivizing sadists and martyrs. Masochists and sadists are the only people who can thrive in that situation. And I meant that when uh, the, the the third reaction that uh, that took over after uh, Robespierre, yes, these were these people had less, uh, literally less virtue than Robespierre, who was filled with virtue. He thought he could impose his virtue on others, but you can't. That's the reality of life. No, we're all built different. We all have different capacities for different things based on our individual experiences, and that's why we need. Intervening structures to guide our day-to-day activity and to reproduce socially beneficial actions and minimize uh, socially negative ones, and that is a functioning state that distributes without or minim- with, while minimizing and moving towards an elimination of alienation, instead of maximizing it and increasing it by the moment, which is what capitalism does. And in those early stages, it's incredibly painful. That's why you have revolutions and ferment and, and throughout all of Europe. In the 17th and uh, 1800s is because this is the moment when these societies are being ripped in half and there's this big explosion. But in the explosion, the bourgeois party is always the progressive force because it's the most self-aware. It's the most self-conscious. And they are able to use that self-consciousness to assert power. Now, 1917 rolls around. Everybody involved in the Russian Revolution was keenly aware of everything that had happened in 17, 17, uh, 1794. They viewed the, they they in many ways uh, viewed the French Revolution as the first as uh, the the model for the Russian one. In that you were facing a similar situation where the crisis of an order had, had occurred and classes were now in revolt against the status quo. Uh, but in and and at the very beginning of this process. Both the uh, bourgeois and the working class have the same uh, interests for a while, but then they start to get in conflict. But in this, in what happened that time, and what guys like Lenin and Trotsky assumed would have to happen historically, is that because in the Russian context, the working class party. The working class was more organized and was more progressive than the bourgeois class. That they would win, and they did, because in the specific context of Russia, the working class, even though it was a small fraction of the population, uh, was more progressive than the bourgeois, because not because, uh, but but, and I think that there was an assumption. Uh, that because this was true in Russia, it was true throughout capitalism. But I think that if you understand, uh, if you understand the the, input, the inputting of capitalism into the system as a uh, as something that occurs in stages and across geography and time, which means that development happens in different places at different rates, even though the general trend is moving in one direction, and you have capitalism moving throughout throughout the systems of different states, as they all compete with one another, but at different rates because of different conditions. And what that meant is that the, uh, the working class, which had just emerged uh, in the late 1800s, brought so many people in Russia so close together so quickly, uh, and hooked them into a social network of uh, political parties and uh, mass media that had been created by a bourgeois that was a fraction, a sliver of the size that it was in more developed historically capitalist regions like central or like Western Europe, where you'd had this the the, the fucking bourgeois had been in the catbird seat ruling capitalism in the in 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 the in the stirrups since it began basically whereas your, uh the, the crisis of capitalism, in, uh, the emergence of capitalism in late 19th century Russia is essentially capitalism showing up on the doorstep of a feudal regime and telling an, uh, a uh, feudal autocrat that he had to institute capitalism if he wanted to keep his fucking country together. And that meant that that. It was all instituted by fiat, by the state. It didn't emerge from social relations and the existing networks of trade that formed the basis of bourgeois social order in the West. Uneven and combined development, as they say. And so in the specific case of Russia, yes, the production was true. The the, the working class was more organized, because there were more of them. They had access to basically the same social structures as the as the Bourgeois class, uh, and therefore they were able to overcome, you know, the fact that they generally had less access to education with numbers and effective technological communication of those numbers into power. That's the important thing. All the French revolutionary sans culottes had was the Jacobin Club, or the Cahiers, or the, or the uh, uh, oh, what the fuck's it called, the Club de Cordelier, That's it. So, like you saw, what happened in 1905 was was the closest thing they had to a bourgeois revolution, but it didn't take because the working class, the, the bourgeois, well, obviously running at a higher temperature than the the, um, the working class at that time, had so few numbers that their ability to assert control was ab- dissipated in, uh, very, very quickly, and was autocracy was able to reassert power. Because it wasn't a powerful enough current in that in that structure in that specific context of capitalist development, and so a lot of the things that people predicted were going to happen uh, in Western Europe in in the in the gap between the first uh, social revolution of, of bourgeois power and then the second or the first revolution of uh, the bourgeois revolution and then the social revolution that comes later in that interval, the bourgeois complete the process, the bloody and horrible process, of asserting uh, this new uh, deterritorialized humanity. (sighs) Capitalism is basically supposed to uproot the human race, grab it out and uproot it, and then that uprooted human race, through the fact that now it uh, is able to, interact uh, cybernetically in a way it wasn't before because of technology and mass culture uh, and and mass identity, are able to build working-class counter-hegemony that then takes over the machine. But the uprooting is to be done in that interval between the bourgeois revolution and the social revolution so that the social revolutionaries can take over a state capable of redistributing labor through the system in a way that is unalienating and promi- or less alienating and promises to decrease alienation over time. I think if you want to explain why, uh, why the Cuban revolution has been so resilient, a big one is, is that in its immediate aftermath, things got dramatically better. For poor people, dramatically better. Of course, it's it stagnated, and it hit a uh, uh, that progress was stopped, strangled by the United States as much as it could be. But you know, there's still social progress. It's just, but the initial sense of momentum, coupled with social institutions that don't alienate people because they seem to be to their benefit, like democratic um, democratic norms. Not not multi party bullshit like we have, but you know, like the direct democracy of, this, of the the direct like community involvement. And the thing is, you say, oh, they're not really voting for anything. But the thing is, if it feels like the state is working for them, then they feel like they had something to say. They feel like they participated. So they are less alienated from their democracy than we are, because we know that what we want doesn't matter, and yet we're still supposed to invest ourselves completely in this political contest. Far less democracy here, because we believe in it less. And that's because nothing has made anybody's life better in any way since the uh, end of the free real estate uh, bonanza of the post-war empire, since they started to have to redistribute the flows. And, of course, these Bolsheviks were all very well aware that if they took power from the bourgeois in 1917 because they were unable to hold it, which they were, they were unable to hold power, that it would be a, a monstrous counter-revolution and probably some sort of uh, genocide. Because if the Black Hundreds had gone hog-wild in the Pale of Settlement after 1905, what would we have, they have done after uh, after that? So that's why the Bolsheviks felt they had to, to seize power. And they had been in unse- uneasy alliance uh, through the provisional government with the bourgeois class, and then they betrayed the bourgeois the same way the bourgeois had betrayed uh, the French proletariat in uh, or proto proletariat in 1794, and the way that they betrayed them uh, in 1848. But the the, t- the tables turned because historical forces had changed. But the, the tragedy was is that what the Bolsheviks had put in, in put in to fill in the, the problem here because they haven't done shit to uproot the Russian people. The, uh, the Russian people are rooted as fuck. That means that they would have to do the uprooting and therefore delegitimize the state to mass numbers of people. They're delegitimizing the state to the people who suffer. And you say, oh, no, but uh, that's just because they're kulaks or something. It's like if you're a regular person, New power takes place. They say, we're on your side, and then things get worse for you. You don't believe in it anymore. And it's like they had to do it to keep the state right, but they undermined its legitimacy. What was supposed to fill that gap of legitimacy was the world revolution that's going to start in Germany and allow them to uproot more slowly, to ease out of the root. But you can only do that with a vastly more... Uh, developed capitalist uh, structure, technological structure, concentration of capital, than post-revolutionary Russia had. Left to themselves, in the competitive state framework, they were going to have to uproot the same way the capitalists had. Only not in countries across the ocean to people of a different color and God, to your own fucking people, to the people, the only people you're supposed to care about. And that happened because not everybody was uh, more developed, and the working class never developed. The uh, in the West, they were they were always kept too comfortable. They were kept too well fed, and that's not their fault. This is the decision everybody is going to make, and this is why Robespierre is fundamentally wrong, and why you cannot maintain virtue in a political system based on capitalism. People's de- the v- definition of virtue is in de- not removable from their self-interest. There is not a virtue, there's not a conception of virtue that is outside when someone is imagining what the right thing is, what, the, what, what, what they're going to do, what they're gonna, how they're gonna respond to the world around them. The good and the bad are. Built into and wired into self-interest, personal, sensual self-interest. And when I say sensual, I don't just mean erotic shit or gluttony. I mean security, safety, not having to do unpleasant physical activities like filling, uh, digging a ditch or standing behind a donkey, building a fucking bridge with your bare hands. And our preference for some activities and feelings and sensations and emotions over others defines our idea of what the right and wrong in any situation is. And so if we're in a social order like capitalism that prioritizes individual gain, that does not allow one to have any investment emotionally in the idea not only that other people matter, but that if I help them, it would do me any fucking good. I would only be punished for it. I would have to do it out of virtue. I would have to do it out of pure, non-self-interested uh, desire, which we think to be superior somehow to a fleshly desire. They are in, uh, completely inseparable. And the thing is, is you want to say, oh, yeah, but I'm, uh, I'm a Calvinist. I'm, I'm a self-flagellating Calvinist. <laughs> Uh, I I hate sensuality of all kinds. Guess what, bitch? You have just eroticized your superego. You're getting pleasure out of it the same way that a hedonist does out of their gluttony. Because you've rewired your pleasure center around your uh, idea that you can represent goodness outside of yourself and therefore be... be, Put in the sight of God, who you imagine as these abstract things, unconnected to flesh and earth. Sorry, these things are all one. These things are all
2: fucking one.
1: And so, even 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 the most virtue loving liberal like Robespierre, look what happened. He allowed himself to be overtaken by uh, by cynics, uh, by by self dealers, by by the lukewarm who should be spewed out of the mouth, uh, because he couldn't read the fucking room at the end of the day, and he couldn't accept for himself that he was a presider over a bourgeois revolution, which means at the end of the day he was more committed to a prince a a, a society based on exploitation than he was on trying to uh, resist it any further. He was going to have to come to terms with the limits of his interests and their coordinate- and, and his interests connection to a group of people that he was not connected to. He didn't live among them. He didn't live in their conditions. He didn't have their social reality. He was a fucking country lawyer, like all of them were, basically. And so he did not have the experience to anchor him. So he fought for this unmoored liberal virtue until reality caught up with him. And he was destroyed by the cynics. Who then presided over a state that had been delegitimized. And it could only be reconsecrated in blood. But it couldn't be the the, the, the blood of the people anymore. It would be the blood of Europe. in And the form of Napoleon's wars. That solved the social problem through colonial, neocolonial, like uh, sort of pre-colonial, I guess you'd say. Like what, what was allowed in Europe before... Uh, they all decided hey you know what we're going to do all that fighting in the in the in the colonial world we're not we're not going to go after our own re- territory. you can kind of see the the Congress of Vienna is that is Napoleon is an attempt to turn the liberal bourgeois project into a self-sustaining one through conquest but within Europe and they all decided okay no, that's not going to work. Uh, we have too much power basically these concentrations the British the Russians, the Prussians, the Austrians they couldn't be reduced. Because you couldn't, colonial, there's no way you can imperially dominate Europe for geographic reasons. Uh, and so this, this stalemate uh, occurs. And so the stalemate is solved with the colonies. The, stal- the stalemate is solved by competing for resources in the third world to sustain the bourgeois state in the face of its mounting contradictions. And so Napoleon is the first one to say, hey, we'll do it in-house. But then was tamed by the Anglo consen- the Anglo sphere, which said, no, 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 we're not doing it in-house, we're doing it colonial style. And that's why, if you want to point to where capitalism was doomed, it was when it was unmoored from the continent. It meant that it had become it had gone from a progressive engine of social change that was necessary to a cancer vector. When the fucking Anglos beat the French. Because the Anglos Connected capitalism in Europe, which had been limited by the social uh, friction that was created by its creation, that was created by its its development, could be soothed with the blood, lubricated with the blood of other people in other places. And then, and then the people could just be soothed out of their angst. And that's what has been happening to the Western a uh, proletariat. Ever since I know that some would say, "Oh, that's Maoist third worldism." You sound like Jay Sakai. no, because those people attach all of it to this wheel of uh, of uh, frankly liberal moralism that says these are all. This is all a tale of who who is good and bad. Wrong, 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 wrong. This is a tale of where people end up in the fucking uh, dice throw of life. The point, What communism does is it doesn't make people better. What communism would do is it would allow regular people who are not good or bad who would lead them to make the good choice more than the bad one because it would not just be the right thing to do abstractly, it would do their lives better by doing it. It would be the logical, the rational, the self-interested thing to do. and That is what That's what the entire Marxist teleology points to, because what that is is a machinery to make humanity work as a species and not as a collection of individuated consciousness, which is not it. That is a lower level of development. That is a lower level of consciousness. It's an alignment of incentives, exactly. And under capitalism, the alignment of incentives is to strip virtue out of the system. And so that is why liberals within this thing cling to virtue more and more as the vice infiltrates. And that is why the conservative is untroubled by these questions because to them, gluttony, vice, has become the virtue because their underlying uh, economic premise is not that they deserve it because they're good people. They deserve it because they're strong people. They deserve it because they are hierarchically better people. Stripped of any sort of ritualized, uh, uh, consecrated meritocracy that is all smoke and mirrors, all hoodoo, a literal social ritual for bored people sitting in offices to do to feel less bad about being in the system they are. The people who don't feel bad about it have turned vice into virtue have turned the enactment of their, uh, every selfish desire and like basically selfish, like wh- whatever uh, allows it so that I, I have to spend the f- least amount of my time, uh, uh, in the, like a Starbucks drive-through, like absolute selfishness that to them is virtue. They don't have a fucking super ego. It's been dissolved. And now we have this civil war at the end of a extinguished liberalism, an extinguished capitalism that should have been destroyed by now and has not. We have this machine that is running itself while we're all freaking out inside of it because we might have passed the point where the machine became self-aware, honestly. And so we're all freaking out in the hull of this. It's this uh, 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 we're all freaking out inside the... The 2001 ship, Hal has decided to shoot us out of the airlock to make things more efficient and to make more profit in the third quarter, even though there's nobody. There's going to be nobody to fucking spend it. And our our politics reflect that. It's a bunch of people in a ship that's slashed. The mass has been lashed, or the the uh, in a big spaceship that has been pointed towards the sun but we still have to sit around in here and like pretend that our councils of state and our political rituals matter. And so we decide, all right, I am strapped to this wheel. Am I going to enjoy it? In what what way am I going to enjoy this? Am I going to enjoy it by pursuing indulgence? Give me the app platter, give me give me my give me all my treats. I want to drive I want a coal roll. Cold roll. I, want to, I, I want to I want to I want use a, a air conditioner in every room. I want to be as physically comfortable as possible and feel good about it, so I will create a political culture around hating people who think I'm bad for doing this because I know I am, and I'm trying to deny that, and so I have to, have to displace my hatred of my, of my revulsion of myself onto others. Uh, or are you a fucking sicko lib who has decided that, um, that they are the... The, the, the only people who deserve power because they're the only good people in the country and that if, if, if bad things happen it'll be because they are willing them to happen to bad people and that's the fantasy of, of power that we cling to as as we're just strapped to this, as the, the bourgeois I should say uh, cling to and the rest of us just have to passively watch this psychodrama play out because the working class never came together. Uh, the effort to do so broke on the shoals of capital uh, in the late 18 the late 19th century the late 20th century. And That's the thing we are. We are living in uncharted territory. I would say people will talk about what's late capitalism, what's neoliberalism, what are these terms? How are they different from regular capitalism? And I would just say that they are chronological, in the sense that they document capitalism once capital capitalism has ceased to fulfill a progressive social function, which for a long time it did, from its birth in late Middle Ages in Europe, to uh, I would say mid. Uh, the first, the, the first half of the 20th century, maybe later, uh, it actually did fulfill a social role. That it, it was progressing, it was creating the structures of uprootedness and technological uh, transmission of information, and resources and labor-saving devices and technological sophistication of industry and and, and the ability to coordinate. I think once you get to the microchip revolution, you're there. But the very forces that built this thing also created a technological structure to capitalism that is different from its political structure, that is no longer in human hands in a real sense. And it is that the media, the superstructure, basically, everything that you would call a superstructural process. Because those superstructural processes have been automated, they are now the actual skeleton of of coercion because they're sending us around. And everything we're doing, all the politics we're creating, all all of our civic action is stuck in the backdraft of this. We are only able to react to uh, the simulacrum of politics, because all of the real politics is not political; it is technological. It is central banks. It is uh, uh, fiat currency. It's the uh, it's the fire sector. It's the entire global marketplace. All of these are automated transactions that are carried out by the price signal being detected by technology and then distributing orders through currency uh, across the world. This is the kind of structure that put to social ends could create a new type of human in, in, a, in a stupid, uh, lame, cringe way of talk, putting it. A new type of fucking person. And, apoc- and liberalism is apocalyptic and nihilistic because it seeks to do that absent the necessary transition of away from capitalism and into socialism, which they resist because their best self-interest is still pleasure. They, of course, have a ritual of wanting to deny it, and some things they do deny themselves, but you know know what they don't deny themselves? Unalienated labor. They're not not fucking doing that. The idea of doing work that could be unpleasant, that could be uh, uh, exhausting, that could be not creatively uh, rewarding, that could be physical, that could be physically alienating, They're not giving that up. And since they're not giving that up, all of their politics is a fucking performance to obscure that fact. And that's all we get to watch. Because there is no working class counter hegemonic uh, culture to, to transmit to people who see themselves no longer as workers but as consumers. Because they have been brought to that point by a system that answered every political conflict with more consumption. Every politi- every meaningful political conflict in England, in the United States results in uh, increased consumption. Now in Europe, for most of its history, all ma- all the really big concentrations of political uh, conflict erupt in violence in the form of wars and attempts to conquest. In the United States that only happened once the rest of the time it was pushed off into a, uh, border wars against non-subject people that led to increased consumption decreased Liberty in the way that the yeomen imagined themselves to be uh, possessing which is that unalienated sense that the, the 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 sense that I can work myself on the land like th- this is the peasant mind uh, the dream absent the 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 landlord is to be my own Baron because that's the only model for freedom they have is as a Baron and so they come to America, and they all try to be barons. And every time the con- there becomes a thing where they might not be able to be, not even be the barons, but imagine that they could be the barons, somebody else dies, somebody else is, uh, is uh, colonized, uh, another regime falls, uh, Europe blows up, oh, boy, that's sure convenient for us, and we become the the, 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 the globe... The, uh, the globe Bestriding striding colossus. And instead of capitalism trying to meet local needs as they emerge, the way it did in Europe, capitalism after the war develops according to the needs of this centralized system that has politically directed all the, the machines of capitalism towards one aim. Surplus, yes, the extraction of surplus value. But then that surplus value, having some, having some percentage of it funneled into the nonproductive class to keep them from gaining uh, sufficient revolutionary class consciousness, and now, and that meant that there was no coherence to the working class in the world as they came into being uh, in the the bloody exploitative colonial context uh, of the post-war Cold War, which meant that their social movements became entwined with nationalism and with these uh, like uh, warlord political parties that. That meant that they could not, and especially in a context where the U.S. was a total economic war uh, with the communist bloc. There was no hope for them to spring up because the central force was dominating and was using its resources to do so. And it's technological sophistication. And there was insufficient technological uh, sophistication uh, among the Soviets because they were not supposed to be there. They were supposed to be the beneficiaries of this global system. They weren't supposed to be the centers of it because they, what were they supposed to direct it towards? There was no central objective in America. There was a central objective cap, uh, uh, the maintenance of these structures. And that meant you have a problem, give them more to eat, give them more to buy, give them more dreams that they can become rich. First, the stock markets in the twenties, then the, the, uh, the, the good union then the uh, the more importantly than anything the the second uh the second or the GI bill and the second homestead act basically which is what created the uh the suburban working class homeowner and of course things like that were happening in Europe too uh hell it was the american uh the american state that broke up the large uh concentrated feudal landowners in japan after world war II – Uh, And then gave everybody a little thief and gave them a chance to to induct this sort of phantom economy of exchange within a system where all the real work was being done outside of it and all of the real uh, resource exploitation was being done outside of it. All that was really happening at the center is consumption. And then the economy that has to exist to facilitate that consumption, that has to circulate the capital through the system to keep all those signals up and to keep the machinery moving things through the chutes. And so the tragedy of Robespierre, to get back to him, is that he was, he embodied his moment, but so much so that his belief in the moment transcended even his ability to perceive his immediate interests or his own, his own conviction in his, his material interests. Robespierre probably didn't really care if he died because he'd been hollowed out by his belief. But that's a very rare dude. They get thrown up by the time. But the machinery, the incentive structure that is always there under capitalism means that you're always sorting towards the most soulless, the most cynical, towards the top. Because the people who uh, who care about something that might allow them to resist capital's encroachment are being eaten away, literally. They're being, their head's chopped off. They're failing to advance. What it remains are those who have a idea of virtue that conforms to success under capitalism. And we're all operating under those conditions. And that's why virtue is 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 a is a is a, a farrago and something that can't be uh uh chased because nobody's it's not about people being better than other people it's not and and, and it's not like i said it's not even to say that that subjects under socialism would socialism would be better people they would be people who would be more likely to do good things because the system rewards it. And here's the important second part of that, is that having that happen over and over again changes at a fundamental level what you would have done in a given situation. Gives you more pleasure to see the affirmation of this system than to get a narrow self-interested point. And that is where it becomes self-generating and turning people and, 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 and changing the conditions of life. It, like it's, it's the alchemy at the heart of, 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 uh, of the socialist vision, in my opinion. But it is not done because people become better. It's not done because people look inside themselves and have a transformation. It is not millennial or Pentecostal. It is that the system incentivizes them to make good decisions. Good, with a capital G. Not good. See, we have that nudge system. We have guys like Cass Sunstein saying, oh, we need to nudge people in the right direction. They're not talking about good with a big G. They're talking about small g economic good, which of course is bad, is destructive, is suicidal. And it is the contract, it is the cognitive dissonance of trying to figure out the fact that we have literally labeled good for bad socially and reinforced bad behavior exclusively while still believing that we're upholding a system that generates virtue, means that we have to continually create greater and greater. Fantasies in our mind and jump through more and more uh, mental hurdles to justify ourselves. And I really think that the hysteria of uh, the hysteria of virtue mongering among liberals is this process playing out.
2: Okay, I hope that made some sense. So yeah, you can't...
1: You have to change the... It, you, are, you are operated by an algorithm either way. Like, the, the, it really... There is no choice. The singularity does occur. Like, the singularity... The technological singularity is real. The only question is, is when the two fuse... Which one is uh, in the driver's seat and which one is in the back? Which one provides the feedback that creates the conditions that will operate the technology? Is it us in the form of human need expressed through the social institutions uh, and uh, religious and civic concepts that move us through life? That nudge us in a direction as we're we follow the orders really of a technological uh, a technological uh, neuro uh, superstructure that, that pushes us through a, a maze. What's going to push us through a maze no matter what? The dream that there's not going to be a maze is the dream of the yeoman fan. It's the yeoman fantasy. It's it's the pre-capitalist, landed dream, and that is not it's not compatible with humanity as it exists. We have been uprooted, come from the earth. We could not reestablish ourselves in it without destroying so many of us, without killing so many of us, that the structures that would be left from that would be fucking monstrous and would only bring about more destruction, would only eat up everything until it was gone. That's the carcinogenic model for human civilization. And it was strapped to this social order that became uh, eventually obsolete. And it is now programming our entire uh, technological infrastructure. And if it continues to, we'll get to a point where there's no people left except for some assholes strapped to a, a fucking, uh, like, duct-taped, some guy in a in a, in a, in a giant tower uh, strapped to some uh, VR headset with a goddamn flashlight on that he thinks is the U- in Internet. And he's there getting, like, paste... Uh, uh, Fed through him to him through a tube, and he thinks that he's living immortally in the machine, until some, you know, they just there's a there's a uh, there's an energy pulse in sector four, and the fucking uh, the lights go out, and he just fucking dies. And then everything else is a machine that is still grinding off, that is still where the, where it's still where, where it still is power through it is still moving things back and forth through sets still sending drones in the sky, still protecting borders that are no longer acknowledged by any living thing. In the year 2525, a cheesy song, but they knew the score. Or we stick around and the machines, the machinery fuses
2: with us in the sense that it does what we want it to do. It becomes an
1: extension of us, not an individual person, but an extension of a will. And that's the, that's the a, 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 I think that uh, Kim Stanley Robert. I haven't read his, his books about, uh, or like Ian Banks too, the, the society or the culture, that kind of thing. But of course, all that stuff is just purely theoretical. We'll never see any of that we'll probably see we'll probably never see any of those outcomes but in some universe they got they happened because in some universe everything happened probably not this one but in one universe out there that happens both of those cases we're going to be somewhere in the spectrum and what that means is we're going to keep collapsing breaking up in this cycle until we either run out and uh and are no longer viable as a species and then something else happens, we get cephalopods in another 100,000 years. And maybe they go to the moon, or they go to the space, and they become whatever. Or it just cycles through low-level, non-intelligent species until the sun explodes. That doesn't do anything to uh, uh, that doesn't do anything to the human consciousness. It doesn't do anything to, the, to our understanding of the world, because because we're here now. I know that sounds dumb, but it means that, I don't know, I can never really articulate it. I just have this weird, I really should know more about astrophysics, because I've heard about this stuff about, like, time time going backwards in some direction, or time going backwards in some instances, and, like, being detected as going backwards, and... And, and like causality being reversed, uh, or breaking down in the quantum realm. And I think about the idea that if the universe is like one consciousness slash substance, if it is one thing and we are like within it experiencing it subjectively, then it, it really could be the fact that it is the, it is consciousness. It is perception of the universe that makes it real. I'm not going to learn anything. Someone says learn civic engineering. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to learn anything, dude. That time has passed. I will. I mean, not anything that exalted. Like, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm going to learn some stuff that like might help me, you know, do a fucking garden. Maybe learn how to build a bench. I'm not going to learn anything. It's just, you know, some, some vocabulary words is basically what I'm looking for. Yeah, I'm going to build a fucking bridge. I, I count with my fingers. What the fuck do you think you're talking to? Yes, but yeah. The universe exists because it's being observed by us. And so maybe that means that no matter how hard it imagines to believe, no hard, no no matter how hard it seems to believe that this could be the world where we pull it off. Man. Maybe the only reason we're here experiencing this is because somewhere it did get pulled off. Somewhere we can connect to. And if that's the case, then you are absolutely obligated by every sense of self-interest. Personal, sensual, spiritual, you are incentivized to do the to do the right thing, and you'll know what that is
2: all right yeah I'm gonna go off I'm gonna go off and I'm gonna go
1: uh, I'm gonna go uh, get one of those home correspondence courses to learn about astrophysics. I'm going to like read some wikipedia pages. Good lord. Do the right sensual thing.
2: Yeah. Yes. Bye bye.